0: Suffolk Pod Show is produced and managed by podtalk.co.uk. I'm Mark Mason. And
1: I'm Susanna Hornby.
0: Episode 20. Susanna is talking to Jason Singh from Tattersall's in Newmarket.
1: Welcome back to the Suffolk Pod Show and welcome to Jason from Tattersall's. Hi, Susanna. Hello. It's, nice to be here. Oh Well, it's lovely to have you. Thanks for joining us. Jason, we're excited. I don't know much about Tattersalls, so this is something that I'm just going to be completely mesmerised with because it's always something I'd like to know more about. How long have you been working with them?
0: I have been working at Tats or Tattersalls um, mm-hmm. for 20 years now. My first job in racing, uh-huh. expat Australian, mm-hmm. came over to England uh, 22 years ago for um, a change of uh, scene Mm -hmm. and a couple of years in, got the job at TATS and uh, the rest is history, as they say.
1: Yeah. You have a background in racing beforehand?
0: No, just as a a, a very enthusiastic punter and race goer, <laughs> um, I guess. Uh, look, uh, growing up in Australia, it's um it's very much a part of uh, part of the culture there. You know, mm. it's on the pay, it's in the papers, it's on it's on TV. Much much like much like here in England. Mm. So you're exposed to it, and I guess some of us um, get the bug, and some don't.
1: Yeah, don't, you have the um, something called the trots over there. Is that right?
0: Yeah, definitely. Grew up with trotting which which is very very popular um, in in many parts of the world, but England is one of the few places England and Ireland you know so it doesn 't really exist but it 's very popular in in Europe. And, you know, sort of, I think the French love it. The, the mm. Scandinavians love it. Um, and, yeah, it was certainly a, a part of um, sort of the, the racing scene in Australia. But mm. um, it's a It uh, always was a small part. <laughs> yeah, very different here.
1: So, Tattersalls, how did it all start with them?
0: Lucky enough. I mean, I guess if, if you've got any interest in, in, in sort of bloodstock and mm. breeding, you you know who, who Tattersalls are. And um, I was just lucky enough to be buying the Racing Post one day when I was uh, at mm. work down in Bournemouth, actually. And um, there was an ad- advertisement in there that um, my skill set ticked a few boxes for. So mm. thankfully, um I convinced them to give me a job. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so you moved um, up to, well, up and across to Newmarket.
0: That's right, definitely. had no ties with Bournemouth, so uh, I'm happy to move over to Newmarket, which was, um, I think I'd been probably, when I was just travelling around, um, backpacking yeah. sort of a few years earlier than that, I had come to Newmarket, and uh, it was my first visit to to Newmarket, and I didn't think at the time I'd love to uh, live here mm. at some point um, of my life. And uh, yeah, just, just the history in uh, around new market and mm. involving new market, uh, definitely I mean, wanted to be part of it.
1: No, I mean it's a magical place. If anyone hasn't gone, you have to go. It is an extraordinary. It's like another world within a world.
0: I actually think that possibly you know underappreciated. You know, I think I don't think people realise that um, you know the horse racing. Kind of industries that exist all around the world now mm. pretty much all started in Newmarket because Charles II decided to keep his horses here 300 years ago. So racing around the world exists because of Newmarket.
1: Amazing. And Tattersall's itself was born in 1765?
0: So one year off, 1766. Ah, so yeah, that we early, celebrated our, our, <laughs> our 250th anniversary four years ago. Yeah. This is a fairly remarkable figure, really, especially mm. when you consider where I grew up as. Australia. Nobody outside the people who lived there at the time knew it existed at that point when um, Tattersalls had been formed, yeah. which, is, which is kind of remarkable, really.
1: Take us through the history of Tattersalls, then, right from the beginning to modern day.
0: Okay. Um, it was uh, well, we were founded in 1766 by a man called Richard Tattersall initially we were based in Hyde Park mm. corner I think most people know Hyde Park corner mm. that sort of bottom right hand side of Hyde Park mm. and uh, you know we were there until 1865 when uh, the building was um, where we were selling was demolished and uh, turned into a wing of um, St George's Hospital and um, if anybody's there nowadays it's the uh, it's the Lanesborough Hotel so that's the old site of where Tattersall's originally was mm-hmm. and um, you know originally we sold all sorts of things. Really, we sold hunting horses. We sold carriages, um, packs of hounds, a lot of stuff related to hunting, as well as as, as various types of horses. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, yeah, in eighteen sixty-five, we relocated to Knightsbridge Green. Mm-hmm. Um, where we were based until you know, sort of World War Two, mm. Newmarket had become increasingly popular as um, as a place where th- where things happened in terms from a racing point of view. And uh, in the early 1900s, we were sort of holding sales here in the in the High Street. Shortly after that, that we um, we started to hold sales at what we call Park Paddocks, which is which is the site that we we currently um, hold sales in. Mm. And uh, you know, it wasn't an until the sort of, I think it was 1960s, 70s, that we still had an office in London. Our, our office was still in London, even mm. though we were holding sales here, that um, that we actually, you know, moved the office office up here as well. So uh, it's all that our history with Newmarket is, is relatively speaking quite recent. Mm. But yeah, the company dates back a lot further.
1: Yeah. I mean, just about Newmarket, about Tattersalls, it plays a pivotal role globally in the industry.
0: Yeah, well, we are the second largest, bloodstock auctioneer in the world and the largest and the oldest, oldest in the world mm-hmm. um, offering around 10,000 horses, uh, thoroughbred horses um, each year through the sale ring here. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we've got, we've got, we've got sort of sister companies, you know, that sell at um Ascot and Sheldon and, and in, and in fairy house in, um, in Ireland, but, um, but the headquarters is here in Newmarket and, mm-hmm. and the most important uh, part of the business and, in the three previous years prior to this year, which mm-hmm. was sort of you know COVID affected, um, we top turnover of approximately three hundred million guineas, um, which yeah represents about sort of more than half of the of the European bloodstock market.
1: That's enormous
0: yeah it's it's um it is a it is a, it's a, it's a lot of money um and uh yeah it, it sort of gives you an indication just of the value of horses traded at auction mm. um public auction you know yeah. here in um here in newmarket and and those um those horses attract people from all around the world mm. into newmarket yeah. um each year you know who want to be part of the experience and uh, there are people who come from all over the world just to be you know to experience newmarket to experience Tattersall's to experience where racing began and, yeah. you know, all the stud farms here as well. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a unique part of the world.
1: It is. It's so, so special. And so are those horses. Can you tell us the life of a thoroughbred? I mean, how does it all begin?
0: Yeah, it, um, I mean, I guess the life of a thoroughbred, simply put, it, it's first after it, its fold. Most horses are bred... Well, mares the mares tend to be bred in the in the spring, so that the foals are born in the spring.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, the reasons for this are there's there's a couple of reasons. You know, it gives them a better chance to uh, grow and be healthy rather than being born sort of you know in the middle of a cold winter sort of thing. Mm. But um, all for the for the purposes of racing, all horses are aged a year on January first. So. It makes sense that um, if you're competing with other horses that are two years old and other horses that are three years old, you don't want to be at too much of a disadvantage in terms of your birth date because mm. your maturity will um, will mean you're at a, put at a, at a distinct disadvantage if you're if you're six months younger than than a horse you're competing against. So. Mm. Horses tend to be born between January and and sort of April, May. Mm. And then, you know, they spend the first couple of years of their life, mostly just in fields growing up and um, being looked after and uh, Mm. becoming healthy horses. And then at some point, that could be at the end of – their first year of birth, they might go to a sale. We have a very big sale called the December foal sale. Mm-hmm. Or they may be kept to sa- It all depends whether the, the person who's bred the horse intends to race them or to sell them. Yeah. Um, if they want to race them, they'll be, you know, left in a field to mature probably until they're almost two years old, at mm-hmm. which point they will head to a breaker who will, you know, teach them to get accustomed to wearing a saddle and a bridle and, and all the um, respective tack before they um then go to a racehorse trainer. If they are being bred commercially and the person who breeds them want wishes to sell them, then they'll come to a sale, possibly the fall sale. Mm-hmm. Um, he here, Possibly a yearling sale here. Possibly both. There are mm. people who come along to our foal sales who want to buy a foal to then try and sell it um, as a yearling and try and make some money. Mm. So there are lots of different participants in our industry yeah. that are involved at different stages. The key part amongst all of this is then when the the horse becomes a racehorse, because that really is whatever anybody's doing. That's the the key thing that they've been bred to do is mm. to race. Mm. That is the um, the ultimate test of of a racehorse is its ability on the race course yeah
1: I think it's quite remarkable the uh, the sheer will of the horse term. they absolutely love it. I think people often think they don't, but they do
0: well, I mean you only have to um look at horses in a in a paddock um and watch watch them running around and uh, they are a herd animal um they like to gallop together mm. um, amongst amongst that herd, you know there is like it is in nature, there are horses who will um, impose their will and want to be the dominant horse amongst them. Mm-hmm. And there are those that don't. And uh, and you know, part of the key is trying to either breed a horse who wants to be the um, the king of the pack or, or, or trying to buy one who wants to be.
1: Yeah. Now, if I was interested in racing horses, I would know right back to when the horse was, shall we say, being made, or rather when the mare was covered, or, or whatever the expression is, sorry, I would be looking at that <coughs> horse from the very moment it comes in, into its world.
0: One of the things, because the thoroughbred is a relatively new invention, so to speak mm. there's really only about 350 years of breeding all thoroughbreds anywhere in the world to be admitted to their respective stud books in each country they have to trace in, in their male line to one of th- three stallions that existed back in the wow. i think 1650s to 1750s pedigrees oh, okay. um, are, are all there for everybody to see that's one of the great um, challenges is to you know, match together a horse's pedigree with its physical attributes mm. to, um, you know, see what, uh, try and buy or try and breed a superior racehorse. Yeah. The great thing is that, of course, does make sense that a physical equivalent, um, the thoroughbred equivalent of a Usain Bolt might be more likely to run quicker than um, an animal that doesn't quite have the same physical attributes. Mm. And it, you know, makes sense that a, a racehorse, by a champion whose mother was a champion, mm. you know, has more of a chance of, of being a, a superior racehorse than one whose mm-hmm. parents were both of average ability. Yeah. But the great, I think, appeal of, of, of racing is that, um, is that there's no guarantees. And uh, the history of the Thoroughbred is littered with horses, you know, were not bred to be great, but ended up, you know, achieving greatness.
1: You've been at Tassels for 20 years, or Tats. Is it called Tats?
0: Well, Tat. everybody sort of just refers to it as, t- as Tats. But okay. um, yeah, t- Tattersalls is. Um, I should call <laughs> what We should I'm, be recalling. I'm
1: not cool yeah. enough to call it Tats. So <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, you must have seen some magnificent winners go through.
0: It is what we do. Um, people come back to Tattersalls every year because they know that they can buy a champion, whether it's for a million guineas or whether it's for you know five or ten thousand guineas. Mm. You know, the great excitement is that great horses are bought at um, all different price ranges. If we didn't sell those good horses. Um, people would stop coming here to buy. So yeah. it yeah. is. Um, yeah, there's plenty of great horses that have been through the ring. Um, you know, the, the sort of race that we love to, um, you know, sell the winner of is something like the Derby at yep. Epsom, mm. one of the great races in the world. Since I've been there, there's been seven Derby winners that have gone through the um, the ring at Tattersalls as yearlings. Um, as most yearlings. recently, wow, okay, yeah, yeah bought as okay. yearlings. So, yeah. um, more most recently in the last decade, Golden Horn, Australia, and Camelot all went through the ring. Uh-huh. But a little bit further back than that, I think it was two thousand and six or seven. You know, a horse called Sir Percy won the Derby. Uh-huh. He was he was bought here as yearlings for sixteen thousand guineas, and that's <laughs> kind of the that's kind of the thing that that everybody wants to be part of because I mean that's a, that's an amount of money that that realistically, you know, a few mates in the pub could have put a small syndicate together yeah. to um, yeah. to buy. So um, that's that's the sort of thing that dreams are made of. So, oh, uh, yeah, what we all want to be.
1: And guineas, um, what is the um, correlation between a guinea and a pound?
0: Um, a guinea is a pound and five pence. Mm-hmm. Or in the old, it used to be referred to a pound and a shilling or 21 shillings. Yeah. And typically what used to happen is that um, the vendor of the horse they were bringing to sale would get the pound and we would keep the shilling uh-huh. um, as our commission right. so mm. it um it's one of those things that it it still suits um the way we do business today uh, our commission is still five percent um on the sale price and so whilst um we sell in guineas in the sale ring. Um, I think we're the only company in the world that still uses the currency. Any anybody who buys a horse here or sells a horse here will get it. will get an invoice in in, in sterling. Mm. But um, but yeah, it's a it's a nice um, part of history that still serves our um, business um, and industry well.
1: Let's talk about this last year because things have had to be surely very different for you. With not so much racing, all the COVID measurements.
0: I think for everybody it's been a, a sort of remarkable and, and crazy year. Mm. Um for the racing industry, probably the most important thing to happen for us was that we managed to get racing restarted at the start of June. Mm -hmm. Everything that happens in the racing and breeding industry relies on racing. Horses that are two-year-olds, I mean, you know, all those two-year-old races need to be run. All the three-year-old races need to be run. If they're not run horses, the yearlings aren't sold, which means the foals are the whole thing requires racing to happen so step Uh, one was was when racing restarted even behind closed doors mm -hmm. um was incredibly important for for the whole industry of course it's been disappointing to be running these you know great races the derby royal ascot all of those sort of things without crowds there
1: yeah
0: um and whilst that is sad um, at least the wheels have been able to to keep turning. Yeah. The second most important thing was that we were able to hold sales. Yeah. All of the, you know, the breeding industry, everything that happens requires somebody to get a, a paycheck for selling their foal or their yearling that then allows them, you know, to pay for service fees, yeah, that sort of thing. Absolutely. So we held our October yearling sale book one, two, and three at the start of October. Mm-hmm. They went better than our wildest dreams could have imagined. Mm-hmm. To um, you know, previous years. I mean, the market dropped a little bit, which mm. was, you know, to be expected, but nowhere near as much as um, we were prepared for. So that was a huge fillip, I think, to the industry. And that then meant that the foal sales were um, better than expected, which then resulted in the breeding stock sales mm. being better than expected. So look, it's been difficult for everybody. and um, far from ideal for everybody, but I think. The end result of um, of the sales throughout the year gave everybody a little bit of positivity and hope for the future. It was much better than everybody expected. I think I think what the, you know what's been very positive is that you know there's still people who want to own a racehorse mm. even in these difficult times. Mm. So um, yeah. It's uh it's been it's been tough and uh you know, undoubtedly we've got some, you know, yeah. tough months ahead still. But mm. um I think everybody can see the uh, the light at the end of the tunnel. And one of the one of the great things about racing is that by its very nature, it attracts um people that need to be optimistic. Racehorse owners are by nature optimistic people. So yeah. um <laughs> yeah, it um <laughs>
1: <laughs> the the um, I was going. I was just about to say you're about you're having a sale in February.
0: Yes, we've got a, the February sale scheduled for February fourth and fifth. Mm-hmm. The catalogue's just gone to the printers. Got approximately five hundred entries for that. Um, at this point, we're hoping that we will be able to go ahead with it. Um, we held our December sales at the end of November and start of December during lockdown. The restrictions that were in place allowed um, livestock auctions to continue, so mm-hmm. we were able able to hold those you know with with plenty of um protocols in place yep. here at the sales to ensure that um you know they were held safely mm. the degree of uncertainty with um with everything at the moment is um, high, so we we naturally will you know have prepared in case we we need to you know switch the sale to to being a virtual sale or an online sale. Yeah. Um, um. I guess we'll have to see how the next the next few weeks plays out.
1: Yeah. I mean, are the sales online anyway? Can anybody watch them?
0: Anybody can can look at them on our on our website. Yeah. And uh, we introduced this year um, both in internet bidding and telephone bidding for for people because obviously you know a huge part of our sales are people travelling from throughout the world here to Newmarket to to be part of them that was made much more difficult um, this year so uh, what's happened is a lot more people are using photos and videos of their horses and making sure they're up on the website so people can see um the horses mm. um mm. local agents and trainers are doing a lot of the groundwork, um, looking at horses for people from overseas. But then a lot of people overseas are, you know, doing the bidding themselves on the internet. You know, whilst the live sale is um, is being held here, Um, or even you know, if they're not confident in in using that technology, giving one of the the team here at Tatsa call to um, help them. I was going to say it's not something you want to make a
1: mistake on bidding on a on a million guinea horse.
0: (laughs) No, no, it's it's definitely (laughs) it's definitely something you don't want to make a (laughs) mistake on, Um, and uh, you know, a little bit like doing it in the ring though. It's 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 uh, people. Yeah, I think people. Thankfully, we've had very few um, mistakes so far, and you uh... haven't had
1: many. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, thank you so much for giving us an insight. Now, this next sale—what are the dates?
0: Fourth and fifth of February okay. for the February sale, and then after that, it's it's mid-April mm. to the Craven Breeds Up sale.
1: Okay. Well, we wish you much success and luck with those sales, of course, and thank you so much, Jason, for spending some time and telling us about Tattersalls and all that you do. It is remarkable. Well,
0: it's been great to chat, uh, Susanna. And when um, when things do return to normal, yourself and um, any of your listeners, are more than welcome to come and uh, watch us out at Tats. It's a great theatre and uh, well worth a visit.
1: Oh, we are coming. We are definitely coming. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right. Well, great to
1: speak. And great to speak to you too. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Suffolk Pod Show. Find us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Or you can visit our website, podtalk.co.uk. And here's our disclaimer.
0: The Suffolk Pod Show will not be held responsible for any omissions or errors in its podcast.
1: The Suffolk Pod Show is produced purely for entertainment purposes. Views and opinions are that of our own or that of our guests.